Shalom, and welcome to Torah to the People, a podcast from Temple Israel in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm Rabbi Micah Greenstein. We hope you enjoy this selection of our sermons, classes, and conversations with inspiring people from across the Bluff City and around the world. One of the most difficult lessons to understand in the entire Torah, depicted in the Ted Russ sculpture all the way at the end of the hall outside the sanctuary, is called the Akedah, the binding of Isaac. The story emphasizes the seeming willingness of Abraham to offer his son's life as some blind test of his faith in God. The Akedah is not an easy Bible story to explain. We find repulsive the notion of justifying human sacrifice for any purpose, whether for justifying God or justifying gun rights without limits. We cannot frame the binding of Isaac's story in any context that is acceptable to prevailing moral standards. And that is why most rabbis, and I think ministers and imams too, rarely choose the Akedah as an inspirational sermonic theme. Most of the time, it simply does not work. I won't try tonight either. I mentioned the binding of Isaac, not with reference to the story itself, but to the sequel which follows and which depends on the Akedah for its significance. Because before the episode in Genesis 22, scripture tells us that Abraham and Isaac walked together to the place where the events would unfold. But after that horrible harrowing nightmare on top of the mountain. Scripture reports that Abraham returned home alone. Isaac did not walk back with him. In fact, from all we can determine, Isaac never set eyes on his dad again. Whatever existed between them was irreparably shattered. Even when Isaac marries Rebekah, we're told that Isaac brought Rebekah into his mother's tent, Sarah, not his father's. In spite of that rift between them, however, when when Abraham dies, the Bible states explicitly, and I want to quote, that Abraham's sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried their father in the cave of Machpelah. In other words, Isaac and Ishmael joined in arranging the ritual for their dad's funeral. 
The Bible had not even mentioned Ishmael since he and his mother, Hagar, were driven out by Abraham into the desert either to die or like Isaac to be rescued by God. Now at the death of their father, these two brothers, the elder Ishmael rejected and disinherited and the younger one pampered and favored Isaac Both of them stand together as sole survivors of a very stormy history. And one cannot resist the impulse to ask how these two could have possibly come together. How in the world could two brothers with such diametrically opposed attributes find themselves cooperating in any venture? What are they doing together at their father's funeral? The Bible does not tell us. But surely something profound must have happened to both of them to enable them to stand side by side by the grave of their father and bury him. And one of the most illuminating explanations for this phenomenon comes not from ancient rabbinic literature known as Midrash, but from the pen of one of the most gifted, overlooked writers of the 20th century, in my view, His name was Julius Lester. Julius Lester was the son of a Methodist minister, W.D. Lester and Julia Smith Lester. His family moved to Nashville in the 1950s. He received his BA from Fisk University in Nashville. And in 1960, he became a civil rights activist, a photographer for the student nonviolent Um, coordinating committee. He was a musician who recorded two albums of folk music. He ended up being a legendary professor at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst, beginning in 1971. And in 1982, he converted to Judaism. And he said that his conversion journey began when he was seven years old, when he learned that his maternal great grandfather, Adolf Altschul, was a Jewish immigrant from Germany who married a freed slave. And Julius Lester was the leader of our sister synagogue in Vermont until his death just five years ago. So that's the background. Lester recounts his spiritual journey in a beautiful book called Love Song. And in his reflections on What I'm talking about, the reunion of Isaac and Ishmael, he imagines Isaac sitting on the mountain, rubbing the rope burns on his wrists and arms, massaging his limbs to restore circulation as the lamb is barbecued and offered up to God. And then Isaac looks at his father, Abraham, remembering the rendezvous with death, which his father agreed to, and with anguished tears and a breaking voice, Isaac asks, how could you do this to me? How could you put me through something like this? And for what? Just so you could prove something to God? What kind of God would do such a thing? I don't want to have anything to do with you or your notion of God. And he tells his father to please go and leave him alone. And then... Lester imagines 
Isaac leaving the mountain, setting out in the wilderness by himself, when by accident or design, he meets his half-brother Ishmael. And then an astounding transformation takes place. Isaac was not the only son to suffer at the hands of his father Abraham. Isaac learns that Ishmael also knew the pain of rejection. He too was expelled from his father's household with his mother Hagar to wander in the desert and to face a painful death, shielded only by the sheltering arm of a compassionate God. Now, of course, it was Sarah who vented her wrath on Hagar and drove her out. But Abraham, if you'll pardon my interpretation, he was the wimp who didn't do the right thing. Lester envisions Isaac and Ishmael sitting around a campfire in the chill of the evening in the desert, recounting the pain of the ordeal they shared, each in a different way, but also in the same way because they were both victimized and devastated. Only the two of them could finally understand the other's agony. And ironically, in that moment of mutual recognition, according to Lester, that's when they truly became brothers. Whereas they were virtually total strangers to one another from the day they were born. Now, in the midst of their loneliness and sorrow, they discover the link that binds their lives together. In Lester's own words, they learn to love each other. Isaac and Ishmael discover the secret of all genuine human relationships. They discover their commonality. Only then could they regain their confidence and courage in themselves, no less each other. Only when they were confronted by their common condition could they ever hope to reconcile their differences. Deep and lasting attachments can't possibly develop while people self-segregate or insist that my experience is irreconcilable with yours, because it isn't. Few, if any, issues in our vengeful, violent world are more urgent or compelling, I think, than this one. Most people are blind to the similarity of thoughts and feelings across all lines, whether geographic, racial, religious, economic, even economic. People were amazed this week to watch the governor of Kentucky, a white Christian, break down over the death of his dear friend gunned down in the Louisville mass shooting. While my friend and black Memphis state legislator, Justin Pearson, many of us know him because Memphis is small, and his colleagues were silenced for speaking up about the senseless gun deaths, not only of his Memphis high school friend, but the victims of all 148 mass shootings since January, whether black or white, rich or poor, Jew or Gentile. People didn't catch that commonality on split screen. I think the governor's name is Bashir. 
and Justin Pearson <laughs> saying the same thing. The kind of change the God of goodness, justice, compassion, and the equity wants, says Judaism, whether peace among Jews in Israel, peace between Israelis, Palestinians, peace in America, Tennessee, the kind of conflicts raging in our state, nation, and world will never be contained or resolved until we see in those who appear utterly different a mirror image of ourselves. This may be the solution to rising anti-Semitism in America, where Jews who are only 2% of the population are 55% of the hate crimes. Whether it comes from, the hate comes from white Christian nationalists or blatant Jew haters, whether it comes from the left or the right, when people call Judaism a gutter religion, or compare the state of Israel to Nazi Germany, even when Israel remains the only refuge for survivors of the Nazi Holocaust. We are all Isaacs and Ishmaels. That's the point. All of us too obsessed with licking our own wounds, healing our own hurt, to realize that maybe like Lester is saying in his book, we are so much not in conflict as we are in covenant. Though we differ as Americans in color and creed, the overwhelming majority of Tennesseans and Americans, the overwhelming majority, majority carry common convictions and want to be partners in a plan for a brighter and healthier nation and world, even more than the dividers ever conceived. But like Isaac and Ishmael, we will never make that day dawn, not until we find each other, not just face to face, but soul to soul. We will never heal by walking away. We will succeed only by refusing to yield until we bridge whatever distance divides people. And we will bridge it only by insisting that our common condition and interdependence requires our reconciliation to and with the image of God that unites us, regardless of what else divides us. So Isaac and Ishmael, let's remember, they did not speak the same language. They didn't even know each other, not until they heard each other with their hearts, not just their ears, did they know that they were really brothers. What Jews and Christians call the kingdom of God has not been lost to humankind. Don't let people make you think it's all been lost. The kingdom of God is still within our reach. We can learn to live together, to help each other, to support each other, to care about each other, to end violence and discord. We must. Our survival on this planet depends on it. In one sentence, in the context of religion, and as Isaac and Ishmael teach us, thanks to Julius Lester, we are one human family. That's all. Amen.